You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back, and we got another movie review for you. This time, we are going to back to the theater, and we are going to be looking at Black Adam, the new look from the, was it DCU Extended, or what are they calling it today, tomorrow, whatever. It's going to be very interesting to see where this, what people thought of this one, where we go with it, and we have a great crew to talk all about it. But of course, geeking out about it always about any kind of DC hero is, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! What Black Adam has been cooking. It'll definitely be an interesting one to do. Uh, But we also want to hear from you guys at home. Please let us know what you guys thought of it. Feedback at our station one. Definitely let me know what you guys thought. Did you like it? Did you not? It's pretty awesome what you guys, you know, thought about it and such. And then we also, of course... I want to thank everybody who's been leaving us feedback, everyone who's been listening to us up on YouTube. Thank you and watching us. It's been amazing. We've actually, you know, some of our shows have almost, or segments have actually almost gotten 100 hits. I'm our faces impressed. haven't scared people away. That's amazing. No, well, it was the Halloween thing. So it might have been, they were thinking That's that we were true. wearing masks or something. That's true. So, That's true. So, you know, it, they're going to be, pretty- they'll be a good shock next month when the masks don't come off. No, the masks do not come <laughs> off on this one, folks. So it's pretty awesome. And you know what? Thank you guys to do it. So our, check out our YouTube channel. We would really appreciate it if you got a chance to do it. And also, you know, while you're, you know, feeling giving and caring and, you know, trying to subscribe and give us likes up on YouTube, why not also check out our Patreon? We got some great stuff going up on Patreon. Um, recently we actually are put, we put up, um, Tony and Joe of the Watchathon from Rassilon actually did their first um, visit to DragonCon. And Ooh. they actually did an episode that we're going to post up on Patreon. So them talking about DragonCon and their thought, initial thoughts on it for their first time. It's actually pretty awesome that they could do that and everything. Um, also, of course, we want to, you know, have thanks. Thank you to our existing patrons. And you too could become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash ESO network. It's real simple, folks. And for as little as a dollar, you can also help support the ESO network. Also, why we're saying, you know, thank you to folks. You know, we're feeling giving and everything tonight. Why not? And, you know, because we're going to be giving candy out next week for Halloween. You know, while you're giving that, why not give out a pair of Tifosi sunglasses to all the kids who are coming to your house? I'm sure Tifosi would just love that. You can get a pair of safety goggles. You can get a pair of, you know, gamer glasses. You can also get some pretty cool, you know, sports glasses and stuff. They even have non-breakable lenses on there. And it's pretty awesome stuff, you know, what they have up on Tifosi. And you can custom make the colors, the styles. It's pretty cool what they do. All you have to do is go to TifosiOptics.com. And if you put in the coupon code EarthStation1, you get 10% off your whole order. Not just one thing, but your whole order. 
Pretty darn awesome there, folks. Check it out, tavosioptical.com. And now we're here with new friend of the show, Rich Davis. Welcome to Earth Station One, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're sort of on the tail end of our countdown to Halloween, so I'm glad that you could join us because, uh, obviously, uh, with your Dracula books uh, that are been so successful, uh, I wanted to have the opportunity to talk to you, so I'm glad that you're joining us. Um, for those people who may not be familiar with you and your work, uh, just tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Rich Davis. I am the writer and creator of both Cult of Dracula and Rise of Dracula um, out in fine comic book stores everywhere from SourcePoint Press. Uh, we have a third volume called Reign of Dracula, uh, which comes out uh, sometime next year, uh, also from SourcePoint Press. And uh, then I have a new book uh, coming down the pike from Red 5 Comics called Prometheus and Chains. And that is a play on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein set in the post-World War II atomic age. Ooh, exciting. So yeah, I'm really excited about A little bit of Dracula, a little bit of Frankenstein. I may have a little bit of an obsession with the Victorian era of horror. <laughs> what, uh, let's start there. Where, so how have you been interested in sort of horror icons for a while? Yeah, you know, I am a, I am, I know everybody who probably says this, but I am a huge horror fan, obviously. Um, and I've been a fan ever since I was a small, uh, small child. Um, and I'm probably the easiest person on the planet to scare because I want to be scared so badly. And like I used to sit and I would hide behind my mom and dad's they had this big black leather couch in the living room and I would hide behind it and like peek around the corner to watch Scooby Doo and it would scare the crap out of me. And mom would be like, I'm never going to let you watch that again. I'm like, please, please, mom, don't want to watch Scooby Doo. <laughs> but I loved it. And so that graduated into just loving horror in general. And um, there used to be this uh, this TV station out of Nashville, Tennessee. I lived in Middle Tennessee growing up, and it was a little uh, little TV station. And on Friday nights, like at 11, 12 o'clock, they would do these um, classic horror movies. Like that's where I mostly Hammer films, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And you know, so I would stay up late and watch those. And you know, my dad knew I was you know, sneaking out of bed, but it was cool to me because I didn't know that he knew. Um, and, you know, from there, those those characters, they've always just they've they've stuck with me, you know, beyond just Dracula and Frankenstein. I mean, you know, you start talking about Dorian Gray and, um, you know, all of these wonderful, um, iconic characters that we that have inspired uh, the the horror fiction that we consume these days, you know, that that's really where where it all started. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's always been a fascination with that Victorian era of horror. And, and on the other side of that, uh, have you always been interested in, in comics as a medium? You know, not actually. Um, when I was a little kid, um, all I wanted to do was play video games and play baseball. Um, I, I, if you would have asked me at eight years old um, what I was going to do in my life, I would have told you I was going to play. Uh, I was going to play baseball for the Atlanta Braves, and I even picked out the house I was going to buy my mom. Uh, when I signed my first contract. So, um, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I really didn't get into comics until, um, I was probably 10 or 11. Um, I didn't like to read anything as a kid. So mom and dad were very smart and they tricked me. 
Um, they knew I loved to play baseball and they knew that I was very competitive and I loved to win things. So they started promising me, um, you know, if I did well um, in my game or if I did well in school, you know, made straight A's or whatever, they would take me over to Bob's Collector's Den, which was in the next town over. And they'd let me spend the day just buying whatever comics I wanted. And, you know, I loved them. But in my little kid brain, I didn't realize that comic books were reading. And so I loved them, you know, fell in love with the X-Men and Spider-Man and uh, Captain America, Uh, more X-Men. I think there were like 13 titles that I was buying back then. (laughs) Um, And, you know, from there... I became an avid reader. You know, I, I graduated from comics into reading more traditional novels. You know, I discovered Stephen King and Anne Rice way too young to discover those, um, those authors, but I read them anyway and I love them. Uh, my parents never censored anything, um, for me. I could read what I wanted. I could watch what I wanted. I could play whatever games I wanted and they would just sit down with me and they'd say, okay, you know, this isn't real, right? Of course, mom. You know, you can't cut somebody up with a chainsaw, right? Absolutely, mom. Will you shut up so I can watch the movie, please? <laughs> and that, that was pretty much a, a normal conversation that we would have on a, on a Saturday night when I was growing up wanting to watch horror movies or, or whatever. And, and when did the urge or the bug to actually create stories start? Mom says I've always been a storyteller. Um, when I was a kid, she tells me stories that I would, you know, entertain her friends by just making crazy stuff up. And, you know, my stories, I mean, sure, a lot of kids do that, but apparently my stories kind of made sense. Um, so mom and dad were, they encouraged me a lot to pursue, um, my creativity. Um, I didn't listen. Um, you know, I decided I, <laughs> I thought, I don't want to do that. Maybe I'll be a lawyer or something. And then I didn't want to do that. So I was like, "Eh, maybe I'll go into journalism. I didn't really want to do that. Maybe I'll be a big time famous actor and do theater. That didn't work out. Um, I did own a theater for 10 years, but, um, you know, I kind of bounced around never really thinking that I could actually make a living, um, out of writing. And, um, I'm very glad that, uh, you know, that I've been able to, I, I started writing plays and screenplays, uh, and then, uh, that just kind of graduated into comics. And, um, I don't know how long they're going to let me keep doing this, but I'm going to stay at the party until they kick me out. (laughs) (laughs) So, so where does the, the, so how did the combination of you writing your, uh, your, your, cause your take on Dracula is, is pretty unique, I think. I think so. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Um, so where, what was the genesis behind all of that? So when I started out, um, two things contributed to, uh, to taking Dracula in the direction that I did. One was a very sobering moment when, um, my friend Georges Genty, uh, he's working on the Mandalorian now, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's a, he's a, a well-known artist and he happens to be a friend. And so, yeah, I love Georges. And he kind of sobered me up a little bit because, uh, you know, I gave him my script, asked him to read it. And he was like, you know, he's like, Rich, it's a good story. Um, I love your dialogue. Your dialogue's probably the strength of the book. But when you get down to it, it's really just another vampire story. And I was like, wow, no one's ever said that to me before. And so I t- started taking a real hard, um, a real hard look at it. And what I knew, what I knew going in 
was that I did not want to tell another story set in Victorian London where a creepy Eastern European dude comes and, you know, tries to take over the city or whatever. There's absolutely nothing I can do with that story. It's been done. It's been done a million times. It's been done very well. It's been done very poorly. It's been spoofed by Leslie Nielsen. There's nothing I can add to that story, (laughs) but I still wanted to tell a Dracula story. So I started researching because I'm a very, very heavy researcher. I, I research everything that I write to a, an obscene degree. Um, but I started researching not only what Stoker said in Dracula, but what he intended to say. What was he saying in letters that he wrote to members of parliament and letters that he wrote to his friends and family? What were his themes? What did he want to explore? And so I, I started thinking about how we could play with his theme of the other, because that, that's the biggest theme in Dracula, that fear of the other. And I was trying to think of a way in modern context, what that other might be. So I dove kind of down a rabbit hole of researching mythologies from around the world, folk tales, uh, creepy children's songs, all that stuff. And I started noticing that there's a very common figure that appears across all of human history and all of human cultures. It's almost always a woman. She's outcast. She doesn't fit in. She's forced to live in the shadows and feed off of the innocence or sometimes the literal life force of children. And that sounded a hell of a lot like a vampire to me. So Mm -hmm. I came up with the concept. What if Dracula was a title rather than a name? So it's like king or queen or emperor or whatever. And what if every one of those figures throughout all of human history, and no matter where on the world they were observed, what if they were Dracula, just interpreted differently by the people who observed her? So that opened up this whole new world of storytelling opportunities, because suddenly I could go anywhere in any time. I could draw from any culture. And so I boiled it all the way back to Lilith and the Garden of Eden and not just the Judeo-Christian version of Lilith, but I also pulled in the Islamic and the Assyrian version um, because there's there's so many crossovers with these characters. These characters appear in so many different cultures. So it became really fun to explore them uh, in that way. And then I decided to drop Charles Manson in the middle of it and make it a make it a kind of a <laughs> 70s grindhouse movie because why not? Well, you mentioned it. I mean, the fact that you mentioned uh, that you kind of grew up on on Hammer Horror, I think that's a big uh, uh, influence on these books as well. I can, oh, I can definitely get, I definitely feel that vibe. Yeah, I think the best uh, the best comp- compliment I got in any of the reviews out there was someone compared it to a of a love story, or excuse me, a love letter to the uh, Grindhouse Golden Age of Horror. And I was mm-hmm. like, that one's getting framed and going on my office wall because that's a good quote. <laughs> and and what's really amazing and without getting into too many spoilers, because I want people to check it out if they haven't already. But whereas Cult of Dracula is really like, OK, this is a unique take on on this this figure, this iconic figure. Um, and it plays out. But then when when you get to Rise of Dracula, man, you just 
you just put the pedal to the metal and go <laughs> full out. Like, like th- you just take it in ways in places that it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this as far as it can go. Absolutely. And, uh, it's so exciting and refreshing. Uh, I can't wait to check out rain by the way. Uh, but, uh, um, so yeah, I'm just sort of wondering like, you know, where does it end? And, and not, not to get into spoilers, but it's like, where you got the concept to just go that far with the concept. All right. I, so I really like you guys. Okay. So I'm going to give you, I'm, 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 I'm going to give you a spoiler that no one else has had. I've never said this on another podcast. So this is just for you guys and your listeners. Okay. You ready for it? You sure you're ready? I'm going to tell I'm you. Ha- I'm, I'm going to tell you how it ends. So I'm, I'm going to tell you how this Dracula saga ends. Okay. Oh no. Oh no. It, oh, it no. ends on the last page. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming. I would have uh, never didn't expect, see that coming. I would never have expected that. <laughs> no. <laughs> is this is this a, is this? What did you have it in mind as a trilogy to begin with, or is it even more ongoing than that? Um, so originally, I had it in mind as a trilogy, and so when I was shopping it around the publishers, um, I would tell them, it's "Like, okay, this book either has to be one volume of six issues." or it has to be three volumes of six issues. It can't be two. It can't be four. It's got to be one or three. Cause I had this, I had this story mapped out in my head of where I was going to go. And, you know, cult of Dracula volume one was written in such a way that if you only read cult and that was where the story ends, you get a successful beginning, middle and an end of a story. But we also set up what would happen in a volume two and eventually a volume three. So I had always hoped that I was going to get to tell the, the entire story. And thankfully, SourcePoint Press um, was behind me. They were very supportive and uh, they've allowed me to do that. And since um, Cult and Rise have been so successful and our hopes are so high for Reign of Dracula, um, we've been discussing ways that we can kind of broaden uh, this universe and tell some more stories. So I'm working now um, in the very early stages of a book called World of Dracula. And with World of Dracula, it'll be a series of one shot books, you know, 24 to 32 pages each. And we will visit Dracula at a different time in history with a different culture. So issue one might be the Na- Native American uh, deer woman. And then issue two might be a story about Medusa. And then another story in volume three might be about Jorogumo from Japan. Um, so there's all these different opportunities to explore Dracula from different perspectives and, you know, kind of um, uh, flesh out the mythos even more than it already has been. Wow. Yeah. And it's, and it, yeah. And like you said, it's, it, it has been quite successful for you. Um, I don't know. Was it, was it, uh, it must have been just an amazing feeling, like seeing it be so, cause it caught on pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Man. It just took, it's, it took fire. Yeah. It's, you know, I still don't believe it. Um, you know, the, imposter syndrome is real in this industry. Um, And I think I have it on steroids. Um, I like to, I was joking with uh, Becky Fuller and uh, Shannon Mayer a little while ago. I was like, you know what? I feel like I've snuck in this really cool party and I'm waiting on the bouncer to tap me on the shoulder and say, dude, get out. You don't belong. And, you know, I've, I've felt that way now for two years. I've got two exceptionally successful books out there. Um, with more on the way. And I, I still don't feel like I, um, like I belong amongst real comics creators, you know, but so it, it is a, it's a, a wild and very humbling feeling like to go to a convention. Um, so okay, quick 
fun story. Uh, my first Megacon last year, um, Megacon's huge. I don't know. It's in Orlando. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a giant complex. And um, I got lost on my way there the first day and I ended up going into the complete wrong building. So I, I show up on the on the con floor about, I don't know, two hours late and I'm walking up. I've got my coffee because this by this time I had to have coffee because I didn't know where I was. And um, I'm walking in and I see SourcePoint Press's booth over there because they've got this really cool, uh, tall red tower that rotates. And it's like, oh, wow, that's neat. And I'm looking and I'm like, oh, wow, there's a good crowd here. You know, there's, there's, that's really cool. Good for them. And then I get like close enough that I'm like, oh, shit. they're waiting for me. <laughs> like these people have been waiting like two hours for me to come over there. And I mean, it was such a weird feeling. And I, I apologize profusely about, you know, told them about how late I was and I was lost. And, but they were really cool people. Um, and it just blew my mind that there were people who, who not only have read my books and enjoyed them, but enjoyed them so much that they actually wanted to come and meet me and talk about those books. So that's been a really, really cool feeling. And I, I hope that I'm able to live up to what, uh, what those, those fans, for lack of a better term, what they expect of me. Um, it still feels weird to say that I have fans, but I do. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, I just, every day when I go to these things, I really do. I want to make sure that I'm giving the people, if you took time to come and see me and to buy my book and to read my book and to talk to me, then I want to give you a, a wonderful experience because the least I can do is give you a minute of my time just to just to talk to you and hear you out. So um, that's uh, that, that's been a really cool experience. Yeah, that's really awesome. Awesome. Um, before we before we get to the uh, geek seat, uh, you you sort of tease that you are uh, you have plans for Mary, uh, Mary Shelley's creation. Yes. Uh, any sort of any sort of sneak peek on that before? Uh... Yeah. Um, so. Just like with Dracula, um, I took Shelley's original story and kind of boiled it down to its uh, its original themes and set it in a completely new way. Because, again, I don't want to tell another story in Victorian London. What can I do with that tale? Nothing. So um, what I decided to do, I was researching. Um, I really don't know why I was reading about this, but I was reading about the Manhattan Project and um, the scientists that fled Germany uh, to help the allies develop the atomic bomb um, to defeat the Nazis. And I started thinking to myself, hmm, what if Victor Frankenstein was one of those scientists? And what if he fled to the U.S. and he worked with Oppenheimer and Fermi and um, Eisenhower, um, um, Einstein, excuse me, not Eisenhower. <laughs> he, would have, he would have been a little bit later. Um, but what if he worked with these people in developing the bomb? And I was like, okay, that's cool. So the bomb becomes a metaphor for the creature. Um, Victor's afraid that it could destroy the world. And then I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but not really cool. So what else could I do with it? And so um, I decided to uh, bring Elizabeth Frankenstein into the story a bit more. Um, she oftentimes gets overlooked in the uh, in the adaptations, I think. And so I decided, well, what if, um, cause there were women who worked on the Manhattan project. And I was like, well, what if, what if Elizabeth was also a brilliant scientist? And what if she fled Germany, not just because she's in love with Victor, but because she actually wanted to contribute to what would eventually bring the Reich to its knees. And then I was thinking, well, what if, you know, we need something else that is, um, that can serve as Victor's creature, 
this monster that's, you know, that's hounding him. And I was like, well, what if we're working on nuclear, uh, nuclear power? What if Elizabeth gets cancer and Victor has to watch her die? And then his grief becomes the creature. And mm. as a person who suffers from uh, PTSD uh, myself, uh, my wife passed away in uh, 2020. Um, this became a very personal story and it's been absolute hell to write it. Um, my therapist is earning her keep, um, talking me through writing this script. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been devastating, but the, the end result, I think is something that I can be proud of that maybe, maybe it can help somebody else out there who's suffering from PTSD or depression and to see, you know, that other people are dealing with those same things. So, um, uh, Prometheus and Chains, it'll be out um, next May uh, from Red 5 Comics. We are uh, working on getting approval uh, to have a free comic book day edition of it, which is incredibly cool to me to think that I would have a book out on free comic book day. It's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, working with Jordan Dorenzo um, on the art, he's brilliant. Um, Dave Lentz and Alex Zeef, uh, my creative team from uh, from Cult and Rise of Dracula came back to do colors and letters. Um, so, you know, we kind of got the band back together and added Jordan in to play bass. Nice. Nice. <laughs> well, uh, now that we've uh, talked about what you've been working on and what you've worked on, let's find out where your passions lie. Mm-hmm. Mike, I think I think I think he's about as ready as he can be. I guess okay. so. Yeah. Well, he's used to working with ho- he's used to working with horrors, so we might as well see what Rich is ready for. <laughs> <laughs> did you say horror or whores because i'm not sure which you said <laughs> well and i was like how do you know i work with whores well don't, <laughs> you don't you see know that me little, you see that little camera above you know oh that's what that is it, it watches everything <laughs> so our first question for you rich what was your favorite geek out moment being a guest at dragon con um I've been attending Dragon Con since probably either 2005, 2006. I don't really remember exactly my first con. Um, but I, I, I went as an attendee. Um, I covered Dragon Con as a reporter for, um, 980 WAAV, uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And a couple of years after that, Dan Carroll was kind enough to invite me to work on media relations. And my responsibility was to manage all of the interview requests for comics and pop art alley. So if a reporter wanted to speak to uh, Teeny Howard or um, John Ramita, they had to go through me to set that up. And so to be invited to come to Dragon Con as a creator, as an artist, as a guest, it was just such a mind blowingly cool experience. I mean, I, I, I vividly remember walking up there to comics and pop art alley and seeing my booth with my name on it. And I, I, I cried. I mean, it was just such a cool, rewarding experience, you know, and dragon con will always be home for me. Um, I love the people. I love the con. There's just nothing like it. And I've been to a lot of conventions now. Um, and nothing comes close to Dragon Con and that one moment of realizing that, holy crap, I'm, I am a guest at Dragon Con. That, that by far was my favorite geek out moment. Awesome. Oh, that's pretty awesome. awesome. It's our, it's our favorite show as well. Nice. Uh, hopefully I'll see you there um, again next year. Absolutely. See, you'll see one of us. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. No. 
What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Um, it's kind of in the same vein. Um, but again, you know, when, when, like Icarus, when you fly too high, you need somebody to, to pull you back down. So, oh, sure. um, <laughs> so when Reed pop, um, indirectly told me that I, um, that I wasn't successful enough to be invited as a guest to their conventions, mm-hmm. that was probably my least favorite geek out moment. Ouch. Oh, ouch yeah. is right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You go from this this super Mount Everest high to this Death Valley low, uh, but then Reed Pop did turn around and invite me to a couple of conventions anyway. So, as Kobe would say, scoreboard. There yeah. you go. <laughs> what geeks you out the most? Um, hmm. I would say meeting um, meeting my fellow fans. Um, I love going to conventions and talking to nerdy people who love nerdy things. And then, you know, cause you, I, my mind gets expanded and I get exposed to so many different, um, uh, IPs and areas of nerddom that I, I would never, uh, think to, um, to try. Uh, for example, um, at DragonCon, a friend of mine, um, was really big into anime. And I'm not, I've never been into it um, because in my mind, anime was always, you know, Naruto and Pokemon and all that stuff. Uh, but my friend told me um, like, no, no, there's a whole new world of, uh, of anime out there. And he introduced me to a show on Netflix called Trese. Um, it's a Philippine um, um, horror anime and I fell in love with it. It's brilliant. And then from there, I watched Castlevania, and then I watched Blood of Zeus, and now I've watched so many anime that I can't even count them. So meeting meeting fellow nerds like that at conventions, that's probably my biggest geek out moment that I just I just absolutely love it. Um, I, I never walk away from one of those encounters empty-handed. That is awesome. Cool. That is really, really awesome. <clears throat> what should your geek off, though? Gatekeepers. Really? Absolutely. There is no place for them. And I know that sounds like I'm being gatekeepery because I am, but, um, you know, there, <laughs> do as I no, say, not as I do. I do. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I mean, being a nerd, we don't need people telling us, Hey, you're cool. You can come into the party or, Hey, you can come enjoy this thing. You know, I, I don't care if you've just picked up comic books you know, after watching Endgame or whether you came out of your mother's womb with Action Comics number one in your hand. I don't care. I'm just glad that you're part of this hobby that I love so much. And my attitude is always uh, when someone new comes into the hobby, I want to help them find more things. You know, I, I, I noticed and sadly it's uh, most of the time it's guys doing this, but you know, um, a woman would come in and say, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a captain America fan. And then, you know, somebody sits there and grills them to death and, you know, uh, and makes them feel bad because they don't know what cap said on the third panel of page 25 in uh, captain America one Oh two, you know, I mean, why, why do you need that? Why can't we just welcome people and celebrate the fact that holy, we both love nerdy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, why do we need, why do we need to ostracize and make people feel bad and push them out of the hobby? We should, we should be welcoming more people in, not, not forcing people out. Mm-hmm. It's not just a club. You, it's open to everybody. 
Absolutely, man. And, no. and the, the, the club gets better the more people we have involved. You know, it, I, it evolves and becomes something that you don't even expect it to be. Absolutely. Which is pretty, pretty awesome. I agree. Not that I'm trying to answer your question for you or anything. No, no, you, you actually said it far more concisely than I did. Cause you know, I can, I can, why use two words when a thousand will do? Let's see. <laughs> what fictional character would you like to meet the most? Lestat de Lioncourt. Really? Yes. Um, I, um, again, I discovered Anne Rice way too young. I was probably maybe 12. When I, oh, wow. when I first, yeah, when I first discovered, um, Anne Rice and I didn't know half of what I was reading. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. I just knew I loved it. And Lestat has always been a character that just absolutely fascinates me because he, he essentially, he, he's kind of like Prometheus. He literally does steal fire from the gods because, you know, when he's made a vampire, He's just really another vampire, um, you know, in the uh, 1700s or 1600s of France. But he goes and he finds the original vampires and he sucks their blood and makes himself, you know, a god, essentially. Um, so he's a fascinating character and a, a brilliant libertine, which is something I've come to understand more about him the, the more I've gone back and uh, to read the books. Um, so, yeah, I think Lestat would be uh, a fascinating character to hang out with um for a while for a while mal are you, are yeah, you I like, was gonna say, if you during if you survive the experience <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly well the other question though is you know what are your thoughts on the new interview with a vampire have you been watching i love it, it. absolutely love it i just got through issue four um i like to binge watch things so um there are very few programs that come out on a weekly episodic uh, schedule um, that I will actually watch. I'll usually wait until everything's available to binge, but with my love of interview with a vampire and all things, Anne Rice, um, I decided to watch this one um, as close to the release schedule as I could. So I binged the first two episodes and then weekly I've come back for three and four. Um, And I am thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with, uh, with this show. Um, the uh, the changes that they've made, and yes, there are some changes. Um, they make sense within the context of uh, of Anne Rice's book. You know, for example, rather than Louis being a, a slave owner, plantation owner in the 1700s, um, he's uh, you know he's essentially a pimp in early 1900s <laughs> um, New Orleans. Which, if you think about it, um, uh, you know, a, a pimp to a whore and a slave master to a slave not really that far of a stretch to compare those two. So uh, the changes that they've made make sense. Um, the actor playing Lestat is brilliant. Um, I enjoy the actor playing Louis a lot. Um, I just met Claudia in uh, episode four, and it's the only time I've been disappointed with the, with any of the choices the show has made. And it, it's nothing against, um, uh, the young lady who's playing, uh, Claudia. Certainly nothing to do with her, with her skin tone. I, I mean, Louis is, uh, he's Creole. She, Claudia as a Creole woman makes sense. Um, but the actor that they chose to play Claudia is far too old. Uh, she's 20. Um, you know, Kirsten Dunst was 11 when she played Claudia and she was too old. So I knew there was, <laughs> I knew there was going to be, they were going to make the character older. 
I just kind of hope that they would make her look younger because this whole thing about Claudia is she's a she's a a woman's fully developed brilliant mind trapped inside of a five-year-old child's body. And, you know, this whole struggle with her, with her body image and her self-esteem and, you know, she never ages. She's always a five-year-old child. And that gets lost when, you know, I think in the show they made her 14 um, and uh, the actor could easily, easily pass for mid-20s. So it loses a lot of that depth and complexity and impact that claudia's story would have so you know because in some ways it was really tragic especially in the books exactly yeah claudia doesn't have the tragedy it comes off more as teen angst like it it belongs on my so-called life more than it does on interview with a vampire yeah (laughs) let it be let it be in vampire diaries just not yeah Yeah. (laughs) vampire diaries that would be another perfectly the teen angst would belong there you know, it was funny, though, because when you started describing the show and everything, you mm-hmm. could tell you're a comic book person because you said issue you're up to issue four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, everything comes in in issues to me. That means I have a lot of issues. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a whole different story. That's another podcast we'll do with you. Don't we all? Don't <laughs> exactly. we all? What fictional character would you like to meet the least? Lestat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you probably, I probably, you probably wouldn't survive, I wouldn't survive it. it. No. And yeah, you, know, you walk around the corner and you see that dude waiting for you. The best you can hope for is an entertaining conversation before he drains you dry. Mm-hmm. That's true. Nope. That's very true. What is your, your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Um, that's a good one. We try. I'm going to go back to uh, Battlestar Galactica, the remake. Um, it's one of the, it might even be the finale episode. I'm not exactly sure, but um, the Cylons, they're, they're on, they're on, on the, the ship and they do that. They repeat the same thing of all of this has happened before. And before she can, before six can complete the sentence, Apollo jumps in and says, but it doesn't have to happen again. So, all of this has happened before, but it doesn't have to happen again. I love that quote. I've never forgotten it. No, that's awesome. What is your ideal geek occupation? Man, I'm doing it. <laughs> I mean, I write comic books for a living. I get to travel to conventions and meet a lot of cool people. I go to stores and sign my books and I get to hang out with, I mean, I get to hang out with real comic book creators, you know, like, we went to New York Comic Con last year and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there having, uh, I'm having dinner with, uh, with Shannon Mayer and Aaron Bartling and Javon Jordan and some other creators that I probably shouldn't name. Um, but it was just, it was just so cool. So yeah, man, this is, this is my ideal geek out dream job without, without hesitation. Yeah, that's understandable completely, completely. And, you know, it's kind of cool when you, finally realize, you know, I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. It's, it's it, you know, I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do that because, you know, a lot of people, um, they don't get to, uh, my mom was one of those people. She worked 40, 45 years in the same factory, punching the same time clock every day, hating every moment of it, but it was a stable, it was a stable job. It paid well, it had good benefits. And she was able to, you know, her and dad, both working those types of jobs were able to provide for the family that way. 
And I am so fortunate that I don't have to be one of those people. I, I can, I actually get to do what I love to do and I actually get to make money doing it. Um, so I, 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 I'm so thankful for that every day. Well, let's look at the other side then. What geek occupation would you not like to do? Man, I would not want to be a DM on a, uh, on like one of those live, uh, live streamed, uh, D and D campaigns. <laughs> that sounds Ooh. like a lot of work, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that would be my least favorite, um, geek job. I, I don't think I would do very well. I love telling stories, but I'm just not, um, I don't have the organization to DM, you know, that requires way too much forethought. And I'm more of a, I, I like to, I like to have a, a structure and then wing it from there. Sure. Yeah, that totally makes sense. All right, Rich, you ready for your final question? The geek seat. Yes. What, what is your ultimate geek fantasy? Wait, is this a mature rated show or do I have to be careful? <laughs> half and half, half and half. I'll just leave that one. Uh, I'll leave that one hanging out there. Oh, my biggest geek fantasy. Wow. Um, you know what? Maybe uh, kind of I'll steal something from Sandman. And since we're talking fantasy here, um, find I'd love to just stroll up on like a little uh, a little pub or a little inn, like hidden somewhere out in the in the trees, somewhere where it shouldn't be. And then I walk in and, you know, people there like. Anne Rice and Stephen King and William Shakespeare and Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley, um, all these people uh, just being there um, and giving me the opportunity to converse with them and hear their stories and just, you know, kind of hobnob and rub elbows. That would be a, that'd be a hell of a fantasy. That's pretty damn amazing. That is, that is awesome. Well, Rich Davis, I've got some great news for you, my friend. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. You're one of us now, man. Tell Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $68.04. Woohoo! I will take it. So, yeah, uh, well, we got some bad news there for that part. <laughs> oh, man. Bait and switch, guys. That's not cool. Well, it's, you know, it's station currency. So as the closer you get down to earth, the, the less it is worth. But, but we have appreciate your time so much, especially this time of year. Um, where can people go to find out more about your books, what you're doing, um, online, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, first place, if you want to find the books, please go to your local comic book shop. Um, because local comic book shops are the backbone and the soul of our industry. And without the LCS, Everything you're going to get is going to be corporate garbage featuring Bat Dude or Spider Guy. Um, so please go to your LCS first. Um, if you want to converse with me, uh, the best way to do that, hit me up on either Facebook or Instagram. It's just Cult of Dracula Comic. Um, there's a Twitter out there, but I don't ever use it. So if you interact with anybody on Twitter, it's probably uh, probably my publicist or my booking manager because Twitter terrifies me. Um, so yeah, just, uh, it's just at cult of Dracula comic on everything. And, um, if you hit me up on Instagram and Facebook, it's probably going to be me that, uh, that replies to you. Because again, if you take the time to talk to me, I definitely want to take the time to talk to you as well. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, uh, this week and, uh, yeah, we'll look for you at a, at a future convention. Awesome. Thanks guys. All right. Take care. Thanks. 
Let's take a quick break now, and we will be back, and we are going to be talking all about Black Adam. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls. I am sad that I was not able to join the ESO crew this week to talk about Black Adam. I actually wasn't able to go see the movie in theaters till the night um, the crew was recording the episode, but I'm excited to share some of my thoughts now. So yeah, like I said, I literally just got home from watching this movie. I'll say that my immediate reaction is You know what? It's not necessarily like the greatest superhero movie I've ever seen or anything like that, but I had a decent time watching it. Some of the things I enjoyed were seeing Dwayne The Rock Johnson. This has been a movie he's been passionate about for a long time, really wanting to play this role. I think that really comes through. I like the backstory of the character. This is someone that didn't necessarily want to be a hero and just was kind of had these powers given to him. So he definitely comes across as more of a reluctant hero or anti-hero. And the movie did a really good job selling like just how impressive his powers were. Like this is a guy that could like wipe a city off the map if he wanted to. That's scary. This is somebody that could go toe-to-toe with Superman. So I thought that was cool. I enjoyed seeing the introduction of the Justice Society. Um, Hawkman was a good performance. I liked his... Um, strategy, kind of the way he contrasted with Black Adam and his view of the world and being a hero. Also, it was neat to see Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate. I know it's a totally different character, but because Marvel put Dr. Strange on screen first, I was a little worried, like, oh man, is this going to be too similar? In some ways it kind of is, but I think they do enough to differentiate it, and I really liked the sacrifice at the end in that he was willing to let go of his own life to do what was needed to save the world. So I thought he was a really cool character. You know, in superhero movies, no one's ever really gone. So I wouldn't be surprised if he came back someday. Cyclone, seeing that her powers, how they were animated were super cool. I love that. Um, Adam Smasher, again, it's one like because the MCU showed us Ant-Man first, was worried like, oh man, are these powers going to seem too similar? But I thought it was different enough and it was kind of cool to see this giant superhero fighting Black Adam, but Black Adam can still take on this literal giant. And another thing that kind of stood out to me was the music I thought was really good. It was epic. It was memorable. Like as I was listening to it, it's like, man, this is something that I would want to listen to the soundtrack later on its own. So yeah, um, that's all the positive stuff. I Breaking it down again, like I said, this is one where maybe the parts are greater than the sum. As I look at the movie as a whole, it felt like, again, it just didn't necessarily have that extra wow factor that a movie earlier this year, like The Batman, I saw that like, wow, this is a great film. This is going to be on my best of the year list. So this didn't necessarily do it for me. But again, I did have a good time watching it. It's a good popcorn flick. It feels very much like a comic book superhero action movie. And I'm a fan who I don't really do the Marvel versus DC thing anymore. I like both. 
I want to see both succeed. And I appreciate that DC is trying to do its own thing and not just copy off of Marvel. So yeah, that's my basic thoughts. Um, I would, this would be a movie that I wouldn't necessarily go rush out to the theater to see it again, but if a chance comes up, like if I am flipping through channels and see it on TV or it comes on streaming, I would watch it again. So that's my thoughts on Black Adam and looking forward to the next Shazam movie, which I got to see a trailer for tonight as well. Hey everyone, this is Carrie from the Metal Geeks podcast. Thanks for geeking out with us for the past 10 years. Yes, I said that 10 years that we've been doing this, talking about video games and metal and TV and movies and comic books and scene parks and all that other cool stuff. Check us out on our website at metalgeeks.net and on all the socials at Metal Geeks. We are proud members of the ESO Network. Keep it geeky and keep it metal. Black Adam. What have your powers ever given to you? Nothing but heartache. I was a slave until I died. Then I was reborn a god. My son sacrificed his life to save me. Now, I kneel before no one. In this world, they're heroes. They're villains. Heroes don't kill people. Well, I do. My vision has shown me the future. You have two choices. You can be the destroyer of this world. Or you can be its savior. That's up to you. Did he just catch a rocket? He got a rocket. Hey there, welcome back to Earth Station One. And now we are here to talk all about Black Adam, the new film starring... Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And it, it was it was interesting. There was some big surprises in this one. And we got a great crew to talk all about this. So Mr. Mike, wanna load the crew in tonight? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, this is a movie that has a lot of roots in 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 deep DC universe stuff. So we had to get our DCU guys on. Earth Station from Earth Station DCU, we've got Drew and Cletus. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Yes. It's been, it's been way too long since we've had you on the station. Of course, you know, these DC movies don't come out very often. No. And this one, I think this one has been in production for 
a long time. <laughs> I can't, uh, I think he said, he, I think Dwayne said he's been working on this for like 15 years or something like mm-hmm. that. It's so been on the it. schedule for almost 10, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's start off talking about, cause there's a lot to unpack here. So let's start by talking about your, our relationship with the character. Uh, we'll start with you, Cletus. Do you remember what, like, what your first, uh, sort of introduction to the character of Black Adam was? Um, man, I, I think it was in the, the Jeff Johns JSA run. I'm pretty sure, um, was my first interaction with the character. Um, and then I, I don't remember when it came out, but DC has a really nice, um, short animated film called a Superman Shazam. Um, and it's the two of them fighting mm-hmm. up to fight Black Adam. It's, it's like only half an hour. It's on HBO Max. It's great. Um, and I really loved that adaptation of those characters. Um, but my biggest, uh, relationship with the characters, actually my master's thesis, um, was, half on him and half on Sinestro. It was sort of analyzing the tragic villain um, and kind of using classical tragedy structure, but applying it to superhero villains. So I've, I've actually studied Black Adam pretty closely. <laughs> wow. That's wow. Pretty amazing. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Uh, new new Drew, respect what a- for your Cletus. Total <laughs> <laughs> uh, new uh, respect. Drew, what about you? What, uh, what, how, how far back do you and Black Adam go? Um, Did you write a paper on him? Huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm thinking probably during the Power of Shazam comic series. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. I think it was during that. But it's I, there was all there used to be a Shazam cartoon on back in the early 80s. I don't know if he was on there or not. But I remember watching... Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel on that cartoon. I don't know Black Adam was on there. He, he and, was. It was called the uh, the Kids Superpower Hour with Shazam. Uh, and that's not to be confused with the live action Shazam that they did. But then afterwards, they did a, a cartoon version of it. And yes, Black Adam was on at least one episode. So I might have been introduced to him on that. Now, I don't I did. Wa- I remember the live action shazam show barely i remember a camper and some old dude on there <laughs> but i don't know if black adam was in that either he was not <laughs> no sadly enough. <laughs> but but my uh introductions to the uh shazam character goes way back to that live action show yeah absolutely absolutely i i that's where i think i I uh, encountered him at least Shazam first, or Captain Marvel as he was called then. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit spotty on on Black Adam as well as when I first got introduced. I, but I think it's very similar to you, Drew. What about you, Mike? For me, it's probably right about the same time. But I remember reading when DC Comics uh, start, got the rights to Shazam and they did in the early seventies, they started um, doing the Shazam comics and it had Dr. Savannah. It had, you know, Isbis and Mr. Mind. It had those characters and black Adam turned up there. And it was interesting because it's like, wait a minute, you know, DC comics has Shazam slash captain Marvel, but Marvel has a captain Marvel also. And so it was always, (laughs) 
it was just interesting with that at the time. And so, but I, you know, of course, being the collector and Shazam, I loved right from the beginning because he was a little more cartoony than Superman. He was this, almost the same powers as Superman, but he had the powers of the gods. And then they had the TV show that Drew was talking about on Saturday morning. And then it had ISIS and, you know, it, and it was just interesting to see those, that series. And, you know, then I started, they started put, putting out the Shazam, um, like, not phone books, but like omnibuses and stuff. And they went all the way back into the 19, you know, into the 1940s and got introduced to black Adam that way. And it was interesting with that because, you know, he was basically the, the wizard Shazam who gave, you know, Billy, his powers gave Teth Adam the same powers, but back in the Egyptian days and basically he was banished from earth for 5,000 years and it took him that long to get back. And, you know, that's when he, you know, met the Marvel family and everything. And he was, a he was a, a dastardly bad guy, but then, you know, slowly, but surely they started making him, especially, you know, in the nineties and into the early two thousands, you know, with the JSA and other, runs they started making him more into like a gray type character that he wasn't quite evil but he was not a good guy as he said he's not a hero and everything yeah, and an so anti-hero yeah exactly and so it was just interesting to see and you know he then became the ruler of kandahar and it was just it was just interesting yeah, it's it's hard for me to believe, you know, I was doing the research and everything that Black Adam uh, in the initial Fawcett run of uh, Captain Marvel uh, was only in one issue. He only had yes. one appearance and he was one and done. Like, as you said, Mike, he the, the wizard like, you know, chucked him away and he spent like 5000 years flying back. He comes back and he goes up against, you know, the Marvel family and they trick him into saying Shazam and because he has, because he's so old, it's been 5,000 years. When he says Shazam, he just turns into like a skeleton. Like he just, like, like he turned he to, just, du- he turned to dust basically. And pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was it. So, um, yeah, but so it, it is interesting because he, I, I always think of Black Adam as, as the anti foe or the big, the major foe to, you know, Shazam, uh, we'll call him. Um, and, you know, like Batman as Joker and, you know, uh, Superman as Lex. And I thought that's, that's the role that Black Adam has, um, for Shazam. And I, and that's the way I don't know why that's always like been, cause I could have swore, um, that he was in Super Friends, Challenge of the Super Friends, part of the Legion of Doom, but he's not, he's not mm-hmm. in there at all. This is way before that. So, um, I think I might have it confused like with like you drew with the cartoon. Uh like all those DC cartoons kind of mixed together. So um but like most of you, um I really got to know him uh within uh, Jeff John's uh Justice Society run as well as the New 52. Um that really I think out of the New 52 that uh, um not the New 52, sorry, the Series 52 the weekly uh, thing that they came out with um, that seemed to be like black Adams, 
like title. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know there was other stories there too, but the one I was <laughs> the one I was most interested in was the Black Adams yeah. part of it. Oh, he's definitely the breakout character of that story for sure. Yeah, yeah, and you're right, Mike. They turn him into this anti-hero where he's he's not a you know he's the leader. Uh, you know, he takes over a whole country. He's kind of like Marvel, like I guess in Marvel comics, you equivalent to like Doom or maybe Submariner kind of like kind of thing where he has his own kingdom. Yeah, exactly. Um, and because it, it's interesting, because you know when I think of Black Adam nowadays, I think of like Jerry Ordway's version of him. And stuff from the power of Shazam, just sure. you know, because he did it so well, and you know, he made him the great character that you know we saw in this movie. But it was interesting too because they captured a lot of the new Fifty Two version of Black Adam in this movie too, especially yeah, the movie. It, this movie was, goes right from that, yeah, yeah, it was his origin completely. Yeah, so. it's not the same origin. I mean, the, the basics are there. Uh, that you know, you he was supposed to be the one to get the you know he got their powers originally and then abused them. Uh, there's some twists on that, which we can talk about as well. And we will spoil the movie for those people who haven't uh, seen it. Um, you know, go see it and then come back and and listen to our our detailed review. Because so we will be talking fully about spoilers. Put us on pause. I, we can we can wait. It's no big. Yeah, we, we'll be here. We'll be here. Yeah. Um, we have nowhere else to. But be. <laughs> uh, but we'll start with you as far as the movie goes, Drew. What were your expectations going into the theater, and overall, were you pleased coming out? What was my expectations? Um, that's a good question <laughs> because I wasn't wasn't exactly sure what to expect on this movie. Um, I watched I watched some trailers for it, and then I tried to stay away from the trailers because they they were really marketing this movie a lot, a lot. <laughs> so I wasn't I wasn't sure I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. Um, I didn't realize at first that the JSA was going to be fighting against Black Adam, but I guess that makes sense. <laughs> so, but um. For my expectations, I didn't really go into the movie with too much expectations. I was pretty much trying to keep an open mind when I went in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, Cletus and I talked about, we talked about probably what we would expect from Dwayne Johnson playing the character, and we pretty much got what we expected from him. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. which wasn't a true black adam villain gotcha gotcha so um so would you say you were overall satisfied coming out or not satisfied or i i i like the movie but black adam wasn't exactly black adam he was more he was more of a hero that killed than an actual villain gotcha gotcha so Cletus, <laughs> similar similar uh thoughts going in uh, honestly, yeah, because Drew and I talked a lot on our podcast leading up to the movie, what we were sure. kind of expecting from the film. And I would say it lived up to exactly what I expected, which was, um, a lot of the film was very faithfully, um, adapted. The costumes I thought were amazing. Dr. Fate looked amazing. Hawkman looked super cool. Um, 
the costume design is overall fantastic. The um, faithfulness to the storylines that they were adapting, again, I thought was pretty good with the major exception, and this is what both Drew and I thought, Black Adam. Uh, I didn't think that Dwayne Johnson was going to have the um, courage, I guess, to portray the unpalatable parts of Black Adam's character. And that's exactly what I thought we got in this film. It is a really good adaptation of the New 52 origin, except in the book, he kills his nephew to take the powers away. And, of course, he doesn't do that in the movie. And it's also a really good adaptation of the Dark Reign JSA story, except in that he asserts his power and becomes the new ruler of conduct. And in this, he explicitly never expresses any desire, both in the past and in the present of the story, to rule. Um, and there are other little things throughout that that go with that, char- uh, that characterization that he chooses. But basically, he strips away all the parts that some audiences might be like, oh, I don't really like that. Um, mm-hmm. And keeps only the like, oh, that was really cool. I don't care that he killed someone. That was awesome. So he keeps all the parts that people will still like that are, that might be considered bad, which is murdering ba- clear bad guys, to be clear. Um, and I and stripped away all of the other nuance to the comic version of the character, which is I I have always, even in the modern adaptations of that character, I feel I've always been a, like a dark gray. Like he will fight on the side of good, but you always know that it's it's because it suits his needs, and he's not going to necessarily do it in a way that the heroes can stomach. Um, and I just didn't think we got that version of the character, and I wasn't surprised that we didn't because I don't think that Dwayne Johnson wants to play. A character like that, I think he wants to yeah, be liked too much. Yeah, well, I think, and I don't know if I mean part of it is is him, and uh, I think also you know, Warner Brothers doesn't want that either. I don't. They weren't out to make a like another Joker movie, right? Where this is a spotlight on a villain. Um, I, at least I that's not the impression that I got. So, uh, but it is uh, very interesting uh, the takes on that. Um, Mike, what about you? What did you feel like? going because we talked about it a little bit about you know um obviously this was one that we wanted to cover um we were somewhat excited especially because of the dc comics lore especially with the justice league uh, justice society part of this uh so what did you what were your expectations pretty high going in my expectations were high until i started hearing some of these reviews that were out there and i was like going you know, seeing the reviews and it was getting skunked, you know, by the reviewers. It's like, Oh, I guess we'll still have to watch the movie. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? And, but then people I knew and cared about and respected, um, started going to see it and posted on Facebook that this movie was awesome, that they really enjoyed it. And I started getting hopes, my hopes up and everything, but I still went in fairly, you know, ambivalent. I was hoping that they would do the Justice Society proud. I was hoping that, you know, we would see Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Cyclone, and Adam Smasher done well, at least. And, you know, and then, you know, I thought, oh, The Rock's just going to be The Rock, you know, the way he is in most movies. And I was actually, I walked out of that theater smiling ear to ear. I enjoyed the film. It was a good soda popcorn and it was fun to watch. It was neat to see 
um, that there was, you know, there is a justice society in the extended DC universe in the movies. And it's awesome to see that there was something before the justice league. It was, this is legacy. We're talking about folks, Hawkman and Dr. Fate have been around for a long time. There was there was the Adam before that played by Henry Winkler of all people, hmm. which was frippin' awesome. One of, and, one of two Henry cameos we get. Yeah. Well, you won't get to that other one. Yet. <laughs> we won't get to that. The big red cheese yet. You know, Can I interject just real quick on the um, Winkler cameo. Was there any, was that just because did he have any, was there any connection there? Cause when he, no, when I saw it, I was like, no, this feels wasn't. like it has to be for a reason, but it was not, just for fun, that, I guess. <laughs> not that I could think of. I can't. Yeah. I can't think of any connection there. No. I was very surprised to see him in the movie. I hadn't heard anything about it. So I was like, Hey, it's the Fonz. <laughs> exactly. The Fonz was in it and everything. Um, it was very, the, the story and the origin completely out of the new 52 except for the slight revision about you know it was his son not his nephew and he didn't kill his son obviously but it was a nice little twist having you know having you because you think it's the son still it's the kid who's you know teth adam and but it's actually the father and that was a nice i liked i liked that uh, Pierce as Dr. Fate won the film for me. Hawkman won the film for me. I want to see a Hawkman movie now. I thought <laughs> he was just fripping awesome and everything. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what they do because there's a Hawk girl out there too. And they've already talked about it. And it's just, it's just, there's so much world building in this movie and it's done so fripping well. And, you know, and I enjoyed it. And, you know, the villain, you know, was great. You know, it was pretty much what you expected. And I thought the battle between, you know, him and Black Adam would have gone on a little bit longer, but I thought it was perfect. I enjoyed that a lot. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, saying it was a popcorn movie. Um, maybe the problem was I didn't have popcorn when I watched the movie. Um I, uh, I didn't know what to expect. I, from the trailers and I don't, I try not to watch trailers. I try not to, you know, I try to avoid reviews and everything like that. So, but the trailer, it was, as you guys pointed out, it's impossible to avoid the trailers for this. Um, they just, I mean, they did, they pushed it hard. Um, and, uh, and I, and I do enjoy Dwayne. Uh, I, I grew up, well, not grew up, but I got into wrestling right at the Attitude Era when he and Stone Cold were at their peak. And uh, I always think the the world of Dwayne and and I know that, uh, and it seemed to me that when he was like, when he revealed that this was a project that he wanted to do, I felt like, you know, if Dwayne Johnson is going to do any character in Marvel or DC, Black Adam seems to be the one that it would be perfect for him, at least physically. Um uh, I did start to worry though. Um, uh, and I'm going to call Dwayne out on this. <laughs> so if you're watching or you're listening, I'm going to call Dwayne out on this because I, I saw an interview with him where he said that, uh, he always felt, uh, kinship with the character of Black Adam. He thought, you know, he always felt connected to the character because as a kid, 
he would read, you know, the comics and it was a hero that was of color, the same color of him. And it really made a, it really stood out for him and made an impact. And I was like, okay, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne, you are a little bit younger than I am. There's nothing as a kid that I saw that suggested in any way that Black Adam was not a villain. Like, like he he was a villain in every way. Uh, that Automatically, I saw. so when he and, would have been a kid, absolutely, absolutely. So I, you know, if he had said, you know, and maybe he's referring to like some of the stuff that you know that Jeff Johns did later, where he develops the character a bit more, and I could I can get behind that certainly, because as we've all pointed out, this is a uh, a uh, that's the inspiration for most of this. I mean, Jeff Johns isn't listed as a writer. But he should be like, like, like Jeff Johns laid a lot of this story out. Uh, but I do feel like they, the adaptation was not a hundred percent successful. Um, I think that the actors did a lot. Um, that's the one thing about Dwayne is that you can give him the silliest lines, the silliest situations, and he can, he can play them off convincingly. And he does so like he takes this character and runs with it um, again, as you point, as you guys pointed out, it's, it's more of the, he said, he keeps saying over and over again, that he's not a hero. He's not a hero. He's not a hero. That, that is drilled into us multiple times in this movie. Um, and yet, as we know from the comics, he's a lot more heroic in this than he is in the, in the comic version of him. Um but overall, I thought the story was pretty weak. I didn't think the action sequences were that impressive. I thought the villain was predictably dull and uh, just a wad of CG at the end uh, that I just didn't connect with at all. Um, I liked the performances by a lot of, of the actors um, and the characters we can talk about. Um, but overall, I was I enjoyed it to an extent, but I didn't love it. Um, and, and when I think about the character, you needed the popcorn, Mikey, you needed the popcorn. Exactly. And what they could have done, I, I'm kind of disappointed. So if I had, if, if Black Adam was a key character for me, I I mean, I appreciate him. I enjoyed him, uh, when I've read certain runs of his, but if I was really connected with him, I probably would come out of this really disappointed because this is not the Black Adam I probably would have wanted to see. Um, but, uh, we can get into more detail, especially on stuff that's good stuff that we enjoyed. And I think as Mike pointed out, um, because it's not just black Adams movie, right? It's also the justice society's movie. It's a very strange justice society that they've set up in this movie. Um, it's almost like what characters can we just throw in there? Um, but I think it's a pretty interesting group. Um, uh, Cleus, we'll start with you. What did you think of the Justice Society as a whole in this? The characters that we got, I, I honestly, I liked all four. Um, obviously, um, the two younger members were more underdeveloped, but I, I can forgive that because the movie is Black Adam's movie, and they're by far the lowest like supporting characters. So, would I have liked a little more from them? Sure, but that's not a big deal. Um, the only, honestly, I, overall, I really liked what the Justice League did. The only changes, minor, minor changes I would have made, um, would have been one or two throwaway lines to more explicitly 
suggests that there are other members of the JSA that simply aren't on the mission. I felt like the movie implied it, um, but they never directly said it. So like some people like us who, who have followed these characters can probably assume that maybe Jay Garrick or Alan Scott are out there. But I, if they could have even just a throwaway line of being like, oh, Jay Garrick was busy on some other mission. So we've got Adam Smasher in instead. I think that would have helped a little bit to make the team feel less hollow. Um, because I don't need like 12 members of the JSA going to Kondok. Um, <laughs> right. So that was fine. I just, I would have liked like one line just implying that the team is bigger than four people. Um, and then, and then this ties into the change with Black Adam. I think their mission would have made more sense if it stayed to what it was in the comic, which is they go to conduct to depose Black Adam from his newly instated rule because they don't want the precedent of a superpowered being asserting his authority over a country because you don't know what's he going to do to the people. And more importantly, what's he going to do to other countries, the boardroom? No one's going to, he's the army. <laughs> so who's going to yeah, stop right. him? So I think that would have, I think, again, obviously, clearly they didn't want Black Adam to be a conqueror. I don't agree with that, but I think it's that a side effect of that is it weakened the reason for the JSA to be there. It was a very weak reason, I thought, in the film. Um, and I think it would have, I think it would have clicked better and it would have, it's so easy to disagree with them. The movie gives you no reason for be like, yeah, this is justified. They should be there. Um, whereas if they're there to remove him from power or at least try to remove him from power, um, I think you raise a good question for the audience because some people will be like, well, they, they, they still shouldn't be there. The people want him or, um, no, like he shouldn't be asserting his authority here. They should be removing him. I think it raises an interesting question for the audience and said that just, wasn't an option. But other than that, I thought the four that we got were awesome. I loved uh, Dr. Fate. Um, Hawkman was cool. I wish he would have gotten his butt kicked slightly less and done a little <laughs> more butt kicking himself. <laughs> but, but other than that, honestly, the JSA was one of my favorite parts of the film. Mm-hmm. It is interesting because traditionally Hawkman is the hothead, right? Like he's the yeah. one that you would probably think would side with Black Adam in most of these cases, right? But here he's 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 going up against him um but uh so yeah what you said about the the reason for them going in is watered down and you're left with this almost problematic like these you know these outsiders coming in and only coming in when it's convenient uh they don't do i don't think they do a good job uh explaining who the justice society is and who these characters are i mean if we we know who they are but if you're just coming in cold you have no idea even after watching this you're like that dr fate what was his powers i don't know really um so i i think they could have explained a little bit more um because it really just feels like uh, Amanda Waller just put together another task force to go up against him. I mean, that's what it sort of feels like in the beginning. Um, and you just wonder if they're, you know, if she's going to pull the trigger and their heads are going to explode if they don't do what she wants. Um, so it is kind of weird, but I, I did appreciate the cast as well. Uh, Drew, what did you feel about the portrayal of the Justice Society here? Now, after Cletus and I, Cletus and I talked about this last night when we did our review on our show, and I was thinking about it today because I was thinking, you know, why 
I was thinking about the reason why the JSA was probably there was because Amanda Waller does not have control over Black Adam. I, I thought about that, and I was thinking the movie probably should express that more because the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, that's probably why they're there because there's there's this powered being, this weapon of mass destruction that, that Waller does not have control over. I mean, we see it with um, you know she has some sort of assertion over the JSA because she sent them in there, and even the surprise character we see at the end. You know, she's involved with that, too. This is a character she doesn't have any control over. He's he's reappeared, and uh, she's a threat to the order she's trying to maintain in the world. So that's why I think the JSA was there, and probably the movie should express that more. That was something I thought out about, Cletus, after we talked last night. So... <laughs> But so it's me, an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I really like the JSA, especially Dr. Fate. I love Dr. Fate's character in this. I think uh, Pierce Bronson did a great job of playing the character. One thing I had to laugh at, though, was it seemed like Dr. Fate was always pulling his helmet off all the time. And the same thing with Adam Smasher, who was always pulling his mask off. That's that's a frequent issue with a lot of superhero it's, things. Peter Parker you, you does the same exact thing in the Spider-Man. You, you, you don't pay the you don't pay Pierce Brosnan a lot of dollars and then just cover his face for most of the movie. You just don't. So that's it. And it's, it's it is what it's, it is. But it's uh, not like he's a Mandalorian or something, you know. <laughs> Although they could have easily explained that by saying, you know, if he wears the helmet, it takes a lot out of him. Like. It, that something like that, because, you know, I think at that stage, it felt like that's what was going on. But um, so, Mike, uh, I have to ask you, because I know that the you know, I know what the JSA means to you. How did you feel about their portrayal here? I mean, you've already kind of told said you like the performances, but um, what about their role in the story itself? It was interesting. I kind of agree with what Drew and Cletus were saying that, you know, Waller, you know, sending them there was an interesting choice because, you know, like you were saying, you know, she has no control over Black Adam. And so she wanted to get him either in under her thumb in suspended animation out of control and, you know, into that suspended animation farm where he had all those other villains. I for one, can't wait till it comes out on Blu-ray or 4K. <laughs> so, so you I, get a screenshot of who else so is I in there? Get, yeah, I want to see who else is in there. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, this is good. Because, but it was it was interesting too because, you know, this the whole thing with the JSA. It's like I don't think she has anything on the JSA, the little bombs or anything. That's no. just the Suicide Squad. I think you know, as she said at the end, that she'll call in a couple favors. So I'm pretty sure that's how she got the Justice Society there to, you know, hey, there's something, you know, you know, you owe me for something, some intel or something that they've gotten in the past mission. And so I'm thinking there's probably, you know, that was with it. But I think the reasons you guys gave for why Waller wanted the Justice Society there to take down Adam, I thought was perfectly legit and everything. And, you know, her reasons were very super at the end. So, you yeah. know, 
I, I think that, you know, I mean, we are putting that on the movie. We're helping the movie out by saying that because they don't really explore that. Like it would have been really interesting. I think if the justice society had kind of, kind of figured out that they were being manipulated uh, to do this and then work with but that. I, um, I and don't, that would I don't leave- think, that, I don't think they were being manipulated to do this. I think they thought they were doing the right thing, seeing, you know, well, of course, because that's what Waller wanted them to think. Well, exactly. But Adam, Black Adam was killing people. He was, you know, basically tearing a hole in intergang and, you know, basically not letting them, anyone survive. He was like, you know, shocking them. He was throwing them through buildings. He was throwing them into the sea. You know, there was no mercy for him. And it was, and I think it was because of the Justice Society that he actually started learning, you know, some mercy in or anything and everything. Maybe. You know, that, so I thought, I don't know. you know, so, cause you know, you know, even with the scene when he was, he took the two soldiers, you know, you're going to tell him, tell me where the kid is, or I'm going to drop the, you know, the first one he tells me, you know, type thing. And he dropped them and, you know, Hawkman said, you know, Hey, I thought, you know, you weren't going to, it says, I knew you were there to save them, you know, basically and you know i thought it, i thought that was a great other. no of no he didn't that's the thing he didn't care either I, way he doesn't care about life like that he just does what he does he goes he destroys what he needs to and he doesn't know what a door is at all so you know he knows what they are he just doesn't feel like using them i guess uh, uh he makes his own doors let's put it that way uh i, I but i think I think you're right. And, and, but the movie, yeah, I think to your point, Mike, I think that, uh, you know, Kandak is suffering under inner gangs rule and Waller isn't doing anything about it. People are no. suffering. People are dying because of what inner gangs doing. She doesn't care, but if a superpowered being that's on the level of Shazam and Superman comes to play. Oh, now she's interested. So she said, she's attention. sending in. She is sending the Justice Society in because she wants that. Like, she doesn't care what's going on in Kandak. This is not a mercy mission. This is not anything to do with that. She she convincingly makes the Justice Society feel that way. But again, I'm adding so many layers to the movie that is not really there, I think. I mean, we have to, we can point to them and say, this is probably the case, but um, cause I find the other thing about this story is that usually with stories, characters learn, grow. I don't know if any of the characters in this movie are any different at the end than when they started, except for the one guy who's dead or a few guys. I was going to say, well, uh, like Dr. <laughs> Fake, you know, did. uh, I mean, Mike, you suggested that, you know, Black Adam might have learned a little bit of mercy from, from the justice society, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. As, as Drew pointed out, like he had no interest in the rule ever. Um, so it wasn't a big surprise to see that he was not interested in ruling. Um, and he's still going to kill people. I think he's still like, you know, if you threaten, uh, Kandak, uh, you know, or any of the people that he, you know, kind of cares about, um, I think he's still going to do what he's doing. I don't, I don't feel like. Any of the J, the Justice Society, um, you know, sort of grew. They kind of still are feeling the same way they felt. Uh, we didn't talk about um, Cyclone at all, but I thought 
um, she was a nice spark of life in this movie. And the way they did the, uh, portrayed her powers were, was really well done. I did like that a lot. I thought that added to it. Um, but, uh, what is something else about the movie that you either really liked or maybe didn't like so much? Uh, uh, Drew will put it in your court now. Um, I, I, the favorite, my favorite thing about the movie is Dr. Fate. I can tell you that. I like to, <laughs> I like the portrayal of Dr. Fate a lot. Um, one of the things I was, I was kind of disappointed in was the fact that we saw Dr. Fate kind of predict that Hawkman was going to die. I thought they were going to do a resurrection thing with him. That's what I was expecting. And then when it was Dr. Fate that ended up dying, I was like, oh, that's a missed opportunity there. So I was kind of yeah, disappointed even in that. When, when Hawkman says, like, I'm not afraid of death, and we we know why he's not afraid of death. Because <laughs> he's just going to, you know, like the doctor, he's just going to regenerate, right? But but the movie doesn't explain that, of course. But, yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of the things I was disappointed about. And, of course, we didn't – the other thing probably was uh, Black Adam's origin. Just because <laughs> – if they would have done the origin from the comic book, it would have made him more, more of a uh, the villain type of character he is. Mm. So I, I found that kind of disappointing too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cleus, what's something else about the movie that uh, struck out to you? I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse on this, but I just think so much of what I think some of the things that you're talking about and Drew and I have talked about were potential issues with the film all kind of circle back to a general lack of true morally gray actions from black Adam. I don't, if you want to cut the part out where in the, so they chose it for it to be his son. If you want to cut the part out where he kills his son to get his powers, fine. I understand. Um, I don't need to see that, but I think you have to pick one. He either needs to sometimes kill people who maybe don't deserve it. Um, or he needs to also show a willingness to rule. Um, I think it needs to be one because there's a lot in the film. And at the end of the film, what we've been hinting at that hinges on the idea that the rest of the DC universe would be threatened by black Adam. Mm -hmm. But the problem I felt in what's actual, what we know from the character is true, right? That, That makes sense that they would be. But what the film actually shows, there's no reason for them to be there in conduct. Yes, Amanda Waller wants to get her fingers on him, right? But that we should feel at least somewhat questionable whether the JSA should be there or not. Like, maybe they should be there. Maybe they shouldn't. There's no reason for them to be there. The movie gives you no reason. He's only helping conduct. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the film, he just wants to – they don't use the word hero. They say he's a protector. But he becomes yes. this – he becomes the superhero of conduct. Why would that bother Superman? Yes, he certainly doesn't want him to kill people. I obviously Superman won't like that. But as to what Black Adam's actually doing, how would, that's not generally unpalatable to the rest of the DC universe. He needs. He needed something. He needed some extra layer of morally gray. Like I said, it needs to either be he he rules conduct, which I think would have been the better choice because. You know, maybe that's because I don't think that that's an entirely bad thing. I think some people would mm-hmm. not be bothered by that. Um, 
or he needs to sometimes kill people who don't deserve it because yes, he kills people a lot in this film, but it's absolutely not one time. Is it a person who doesn't deserve it? They're all unquestionably evil. Like he literally kills the devil at the end of the movie. Like, <laughs> it's true. Just, we're not, I'm, no, who's going to be upset? Like, oh man, the devil didn't deserve to be ripped in half black at him. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think, I think the things that the movie wanted to do, like they, they make the twist of like, oh, it's actually the dad that gets the powers, not the son. That twist lands better if he did something to not deserve those powers. Yes, he loses control of them, but that's, I thought, pretty forgivable. I just, I think there needed to be something. I don't, whatever it was, again, either, you know, a little, I don't need graphic or anything, but more murderous than what we saw in terms of people who deserve it or not, or asserting his authority over the country. But it needed to be one because what we got was a hero in everything, but he keeps telling us that he's not. But everything that they show us, he is. Right. And he kills, you know, a hero that kills. Um, um, <clears throat> but they even tease us with the whole ruling thing because I think the only shot that I thought harkened back to like a, a comic frame or a comic panel or a comic cover was when he's sitting in the throne. Like that was almost like perfectly lined up with the jg jones cover from one of the 52 issues i'm not sure which one it is but um but if you like if you yeah if you google it you'll just see it's like it's it's the rock sitting in a chair like it it's it's that and then and then he turns around and 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 you know destroys the throne and you're like okay you you teased us with giving us the comic book one now you're now he's something else right uh, Mike, anything else about the movie that you uh, wanted to point out? No, it was interesting. You know, it went back and forth. You know, I am not a hero, you know, type thing. And, you know, he's he's a great hero, you know, or whatever you want to call it. But I like to like the Punisher. Well, yeah, kind of. But <laughs> I know the Punisher does never does never, ever consider himself a hero. And, you know, but the people are cheering him on and it was just real interesting that, you know, they were being freed from inner gang and, you know, these, he was, it was just interesting to see that, you know, what one person might consider, you know, a threat, other people will consider a savior or consider, you know, the, you know, the right person for their community or their country or their society. And it was just very interesting. And to see, you know, you know, when they tried to stop, we're trying to stop Black Adam, the Justice Society is used to be wel- welcomed as heroes and they were being booed and everything. And it was just a neat thing to experience, see that. And I thought that part was pulled off really, really well. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't. I didn't see the black Adam in this movie being the mustache twirling bad guy we got in the comics and everything. And what we got in the comics is a lot more villainous than what yes. the rock with the rock and a lot more portrayed. and a lot more layered. I think, as yeah. I think it's fair to say, um, all right. So we've hinted at it. We've talked about yeah. it. Um, obviously when this was, cause one thing I know everybody wants to talk about um, is that, 
the 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 sort of end credit scene. I was so sad that there was only one end credit scene. I really wanted another one. Um, uh, but uh, we get the one, and these film these these movies that are coming out. Uh, Black Adam was supposed to come out after the Shazam sequel, so I think some things were changed uh, in order for that to happen. Plus, uh, things going on with Henry Cavill uh, as Superman, so. Uh, we get a, you know, da 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 da. We get the uh, actual the theme music, the Superman John Williams theme music. Superman appears at the end, um, and Black Adam looks like he looks like he's ready to go. Like he looks like he's like I I I, I want a challenge. Um, and so I'm just gonna beat this guy up. Um, I I love seeing Henry Cavill as Superman. I love seeing the Superman theme like our feel hearing it it just gives me chills but i gotta tell you like shazam should have been the guy like like if it's gonna lead up to any conflict between two heroes or a hero and a villain whatever you want to set call it two characters it's got to be black adam and shazam right like i just of don't course. um i just don't i thought that was kind of not uh, i mean maybe in the shazam movie which is coming out maybe we'll get a cut scene or something with that, maybe, um, because they, to me, like, you just don't separate these guys uh, from each other. And it seems like this movie did everything it could do uh, to do that. Uh, but, um, you know, it was it is a great moment. It felt really good. Uh, Drew, what did you think about the uh, the end credit scene? I liked it. Um, one of the one of the things I've been Cletus and I kind of argued about this last night Um I was wondering if Superman came from a different Earth. I can't remember. Now I can't remember the exact line. But for some reason, I got the impression that Superman came from a different Earth, that um, we were introducing a multiverse here. Hmm. And uh, I was wondering if you guys got that impression. I, I personally did not. No, I, I, I don't. Nope. I just, th- nope. I just think they. I just think Sorry, that dude. Warner Brothers has no idea what they're doing with the DC universe, and they're just throwing out connections willy nilly, and they don't really consider the connectivity of it. They don't have a plan, so they're just doing things because it seems cool. Um, that's the way I feel about it. I don't think there's any sort of method behind all of this, but I could be wrong. Uh, Cletus, what did, what did you think of the, the end credit scene? I was thrilled to see Henry Cavill back as Superman because I personally really like him as the character. I would love to see him get a fair shake at playing that character again. Um, so that part was very exciting for me. And I would like to see a movie where he and The Rock face off because I think it could be cool. I, I agree with you though. Shazam's got to be involved. I do wonder if they missed their opportunity though because Initially, I agreed with the decision to separate the two. But now, based on the Black Adam movie that we've seen, I don't know why the two would interact. They should. To be clear, they should. But based on what's been established with the two characters, why would a kid from Philadelphia be bothered with a Middle Eastern country? They do get their powers from the same place. Right. But this version of Black Adam bears no grudge against the wizard. Right, the, the movie seems to pretty heavily imply that he agrees with his imprisonment, 
So there's yeah. no there's no grudge on normally there's a huge grudge on his part, right? Yeah, that he's bitter towards the wizard, so he hates Billy by proxy. That's not in this universe. So I, again, I wonder, and I it's the same problem I think with Superman with with both of those characters. I would love to see them square off against Black Adam in principle. I don't know what the reason would be for them to actually do so based on what they've seen. Like I can't see this version of Black Adam being a true antagonist. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I can't part of me when I saw that scene, a, I was gig, I was like squealing like, Oh, it's Henry Cavill. <laughs> but part of me was also like, Oh my God, are they going to bond over their moms being made Martha again? Like there's a lot, that <laughs> there's a lot that screams Batman versus Superman to me where there's not a really good reason for the two to fight. And so they sort of fight. And then the movie's like, yeah, this is done. They're going to team up instead. That's, that's what it feels like it's going to me. And is and it, and the, the 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 Shazam movies have a different vibe, certainly than this Black Adam movie. And you get the feeling that um, if Shazam, this version that we see in the movies, went up against uh, this Black Adam, he would just get killed. Like like he yes. just like he was yeah. he would not be ready for this kind of uh, this kind of and, and Superman would be able to handle him a little bit better. You would think, but. Who knows? And and I think uh I think Dwayne is much more interested in facing off against Superman than uh he is against Shazam. But uh uh Mike, what did you think? It was interesting. It was foreshadowed that Superman would be popping up anyway after the battles in the kids' room and making sure that everything that had Superman on it was being you know, focused on, but then destroyed. The entire Justice League was destroyed in that room. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was, but it was interesting to see. And then when Henry showed up, you know, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. And they didn't have to CGI a mustache off of him, which was <laughs> even better. And so I was, I was thrilled to see him, you know, cause I've always thought that he got a raw deal in some in his movies and everything because i think he could be a really good superman and i think we saw hints of it in the justice league movies both in the original in the theater version and then also in the recut i thought we saw yeah i thought we saw some signs of brilliance of you know him finally shining through as superman but you know Will we, you know, how much more? I know he's everywhere as of today saying, you know, hey, I'm back as Superman. I'm going for going forward. I'll be Superman in the DCU. So what do they have planned? Who knows? You know, anything with Warner right now is out the window. You don't know what they're going to do. And that's the sad part about it. They should be universe building. They should be you know, building off of some of the Snyder cut stuff or off of the, some of the other films, but I just think they're all over the place right now. And I, I'm kind of sad about that and I wish they could, you know, do something more with it. Yeah. And, uh, um, and we did get another cameo. Uh, we should point out because, uh, Amanda Waller wasn't the only, uh, suicide squad slash peace peacemaker. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to make sure I got that right. <laughs> Peacemaker uh, cameo uh, that uh, we got. So uh, got Mrs. Uh, James Gunn in there. I was going to say Mrs. James Gunn made an appearance, which was nice. Um, I like I, I think I've already said that I, you know, I thought 
I man, I really think I would have um, been more charged if it had been like Shazam instead of Superman. Um, but I also thought that we were going to get maybe a couple, like I was hoping for another uh, scene that would, uh, another sequence that maybe would, would help expand, like you said, Mike, the world a little bit more. Um, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about Sarah Shahi as Adriana Tomas, but people who didn't follow the comics know that she is Isis and there's nothing in this movie that is laying the groundwork for that. Um, so I was kind of hoping mm-hmm. that maybe there would be a, uh, a after credit scene that would kind of, uh, spark that a little bit or that's, maybe that's even what they're I hoping for this. They're hoping for that for the sequel though. You know, that's, I, 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 I asked. I also thought that um, it would have been maybe a cool cut scene if we found out where Dr. Fate's helmet went to see who the, you know, the new Dr. Fate uh, that would have been like both of those things I think would have um, been, I would have been really excited to see those, um, would, but we didn't Mike, get the problem is that would be Warner brothers having to forward think. And they're not <laughs> yeah, I know, right now. I know, I know. I know. Um, so, all right. So we'll end with this. Um, cause I think it's pretty clear that, you know, we kind of like some elements of the movie, but we might have felt like it was a missed opportunity in some ways. Um, where do you want to see Black Adam go from here? Do you want another Black Adam movie? Do you want him in another movie with other heroes or how does this, how do you want this to play out? Um, uh, Drew, we'll start with you. What, where do you see the future of Black Adam? Well, originally, I was always wanting to see Shazam versus Black Adam, but um, I I don't know now. <laughs> I, I kind of want to see the Superman Black Adam movie. So gotcha. the, the ending kind of got me excited for that. I mean, I still would like to see Shazam versus Black Adam, but the problem is, <laughs> is the Shazam we have, he's still trying to learn his powers. I mean, I saw the previews for... Um, Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods um, before the Black Adam movie and yeah, it too. looks like he looks like Billy's still trying to learn his powers so <laughs> but he's got a team I mean he's got a whole fam like a yes, I was, family is there yeah I was very excited to see that it looks like we're gonna get more of the family in this movie than just to focus on Billy so I am kind of excited about that so Seeing the previews for um, Shazam got me really excited for the next movie coming up soon. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cletus, where do you feel like this Black Adam can go from here? Uh, I there's I think the surest bet is that he gets a sequel because the rock wills it. So <laughs> I, I mean, I want to give him credit. This movie doesn't get made if the rock's not cast as Black Adam. I mean, he yes, this you is are, a you sheer right. force of will to get the character on screen. And he absolutely deserves credit for that. Um, so I think, I think the most likely place we'll see him is in his own movie again. Um, I would love to see him in a role in which he's not the main character, because I do wonder if they would maybe feel more comfortable with playing a little less heroic with him. I don't necessarily need him to be the old school villain of the seventies and the Fawcett comic single appearance, um, like, I don't need that. I don't need Black Adam to be a straightforward bad guy. Um, but I would be curious to see him in an antagonistic role. Um, and I think The Rock wants to do that. I just don't know if The Rock actually knows what that looks like. So <laughs> I would, that's what or I would like Warner to Brothers see. Or Warner Brothers knows what that looks like. Yeah, or Warner Brothers knows what that looks like. So that's what I would like to see. Um, 
again, I, I'm such a big Black Adam fan. I think, I like you mentioned this, Mike, I'm more bothered by the missed opportunity than I think other people will be. Um, but the movie was a hit. I mean, it did. It's his best opening ever as an actor, and that's not nothing. Um, no. So we'll definitely see this character again. I think that's a good thing. Um, the character, look, The Rock looks the part. There's a reason he got cast as the character. Um, and I... I think he's capable of doing more with the character too. So I think the more opportunities he gets, I think the, the, you know, eventually they'll hit on one of them. So, and, and unlike most uh, actors or actresses who play superheroes, the Dwayne's outfit that those muscles are really his. That's his. Yeah. (laughs) That's not, not, that's not not a muscle suit. suit. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a muscle suit. No, there, I think they were, just pa- there were times I think they when just they looked spray like they painted, painted him. It. Exactly, they painted the suit on him. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, Drew. What were you saying? That's I was going to say thing. it may be it may be interesting to see Black Adam on the Justice League. I mean, he's been he's been on the Justice League recently in Bendis' run. It might be interesting to see him interacting with the Justice League on their team. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, where do you want to see uh, Black Adam go from here? Oh, most definitely. I want him to go up against Shazam. You know, that's where he belongs is that. And later on, you know, when they started turning him gray, they started having him more interact more with the Justice Society. Hell, Shazam joined the Justice Society in a bit to keep an eye on Black Adam to make sure. That's true. That's true. Everything. So it was very interesting to see. So yeah, um, there's going to be a sequel and, you know, eventually, but, you know, unless Warner Brothers get to put their head even further up there, you know, where and, <laughs> you know, decides, well, you know, that's it for the character. I don't know. I'm sorry. Which way is the wind blowing this week? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I definitely would love to see, you know, but you're going to see something with, at least with Superman and Black Adam somewhere. But I don't, if they do like a Man of Steel 2 or a new Superman movie, I don't want it to see it being Superman versus Black Adam for the whole movie or either. Because I think Superman deserves his own thing. (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't need another Superman v somebody, right? No, not at (laughs) all. We don't need (laughs) that. Um, and yeah, I do think, why'd you say that name? Why'd you say (laughs) that name? Exactly. Um, I, I think that, uh, look, I would, I think, uh, if I'm running the ship, I think the end credit scene of the new super, uh, the next Shazam movie ends with an appearance by black Adam, which leads into a black Adam slash Shazam movie. Like, um, and however that plays out, it plays out, but I, I, I think that's what I would like to see anyway. Um, and, you know, like I said, we'll only, I, I can't predict what Warner Brothers will do because who knows what, who will even be owning them and running the show like next year. Like it, it just changes uh, next week. What uh, do you mean? Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy over there. Um, but uh, anyway, it's been really fun uh, chatting about the movie with you guys. And uh, we'll be right back to close out the show.
Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the Monster High live-action movie. Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon have released a live-action Monster High movie that's been playing non-stop pretty much on Nickelodeon for the entire month of October, and they just announced a second movie as well. If you're a fan of the dolls and the cartoon, then go into this knowing that there are a lot of changes. Characters look different, voices are way different, and even the personalities of some of the characters are different. Overall, I thought the movie was fun and the story was cute, the musical numbers were good, and it was well done for what it is. I can see how many of the hardcore fans are upset or indifferent to it, though, because of a lot of the changes. However, it is way easier to make characters based off of monsters in an animation form than a live-action one, so I do understand some of the changes. The story follows Claudine Wolf, a half-werewolf, half-human girl, and her first year at Monster High. Her human father tells her from the start to hide that she is part human because the monster world is not accepting of humans. At this school, Claudine meets her roommates, Draculara and Frankie. Claudine learns that another student years and years ago had created a potion to help get rid of the human side of them, and she goes on a mission to find it so that she can stay at Monster High. In the end, all of her friends she met at the school end up showing her that they do like her for who she is, human and monster side. We also get a little tidbit of Draculara studying, studying magic that looks like it will be part of the theme for the second movie. Overall, this was a fun little watch. It was lighthearted, and it was something that I could watch when I didn't want something overly thought-provoking or heavy. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Hey, hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Almost 12 years old. Davy Jones was it for me. (laughs) I was having problems dancing and tambourining. I got overzealous (laughs) and overly excited. Like We've had our own little version of Monkey Mania 50 years later, which is just crazy. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our guests for being here tonight. Cletus, thank you so, so much for being here. You yep. are the scholar of you know, <laughs> Black Adam for tonight. Yeah, thank this you. Was uh, awesome. This was awesome. I had a lot of fun talking with you guys. Oh, it was awesome. Anything you want to shout out about or promote? Yeah, so I, I always like to end our podcast by recommending a comic for people to go check out. Um, and we've referenced it a couple times during our discussion, but I think... The best comic for you to go check out if you were energized by this film, enjoyed it, um, is JSA Black Rain. And they actually just like reprinted this with, you know, the Rocks version of Black Adam on the cover now, which is nice. Um, but anyway, JSA Black Rain collects issues of JSA 56 through 58 and also Hawkman issues 23 through 25. Um, and is, is loose, it's loosely what the film is adapting, which is, Black Adam goes in, overthrows the current dictator regime, makes himself the new ruler, and then the other parts of the JSA that didn't support him come in to try to depose him. And it's a very, very good comic. And that was actually interesting, too, where they were kind of hinting with Adam Smasher in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything mm-hmm. where they were going with that. And it's like, oh, I see what they're doing there. 
Don't push it, kid. At all. <laughs> thank you so, so much. And Drew, always great to have you on, my friend. Yes, it's great to be back. It's been quite a while. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, DC hasn't been doing all that much <laughs> the theaters and everything. We'll probably have you back, you guys back when they do Aquaman, if that ever comes out, or the new Shazam movie. So we'll have to wait and see. So it would be very cool. Anything you want to promote, my friend? Of course. I'm going to promote our podcast, Earth Station DCU. Um, come check us out. You don't have to be reading comics or watching the shows because we recap them all. So go ahead and listen. We talk DC news every week. And we, I like I said, I do a recap of the comics. Cletus and I discuss it. Right now we are discussing uh, the shows The Sandman. Uh, Stargirl, and uh, DC's Legends Tomorrow. And we're excited about Doom Patrol coming up soon, and Titans. So, Oh, yeah. Very much so. Those are all going to be great. Hopefully, this will not be the last season of either Doom Patrol or Titans. But, like we said, what way what <laughs> is the wind blowing today, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Everything's up in the air with, with them. But, uh, yeah, you guys are doing a great job over there. Uh, congratulations on, on episode 300 and beyond. Thank you. That is awesome. Congrats guys. Yeah. Thanks. It's awesome having a great DCU and also congrats. Also you do a Patreon series for us also. Oh yes. Earth station DCU classics. And, uh, just recently, um, I think what year did, I forget what year we traveled to. It was either 1979 or 1980, <laughs> yep. but we keep jumping around to different years. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever uh, Kevin's computer <laughs> takes us to. <laughs> but I was just the most recent one we recorded. I was talking about um, the world of Krypton. Mm-hmm. It was a I three remember. issue series. And what's funny is Cletus and I just reviewed a modern version of it, and they're like totally different. I mean, they kind of hit some of the same beats, but I think the the classic one's better. <laughs> It has to be because the <laughs> modern one was nothing. It was just nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, what, what was funny? I'm going to say one more thing. What was funny about the classic one is Superman made an appearance in it, and they didn't really explain it. He's like, is an assistant to Jor-El, and then he just disappears. I'm like, I was like, what's going on here? He could have used the Legion of Superheroes time bubble. Come on, everybody knows that. <laughs> Come on, it's wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. It's you know the silver. It's the silver age of the DCU. It was perfect. It's, that was pre-crisis. It was awesome. Anything could happen then. So cool. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Yeah, I took a um, little bit of time out uh, this uh, this month uh, from uh, my spooky movies uh, marathons that I uh, like to watch uh, all throughout and and read uh, spooky stories all month long. But I, we took a little bit of uh, uh, time away from that. Um, I know, Mike, you went on a on a cruise over to uh, to Europe a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago. Well, we went even further than that. We we freaked out on a moon age daydream, buddy. Uh, we, I finally saw the, uh, the David Bowie movie, the tribute to David Bowie called moon age daydream. And it was an amazing movie. I'm still processing it. 
Um, if you're a Bowie fan, it is a must see. There is footage, there's interviews with him that I've never seen before. Uh, there's things that, uh, you find out information that I, 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 I had no idea. Uh, there's some really intimate stuff there too. And he was a pretty, for as, as big a name as he was, he was a pretty private guy, but there's also a lot of great live performances that I've never seen that are a part of this movie. If you can watch it, I mean, I know that all the IMAX screens are full up with Black Adam this weekend. So if you can, if you can find it on IMAX, see it on IMAX. Uh, I was lucky enough. We didn't see it on IMAX screen, but the theater that we saw it in had a great acoustic sound system. So, um, and that was amazing. Uh, I imagine that once this movie hits like streaming, I'm going to be watching it over and over again, again, processing it and getting more and more out of it. Uh, just like a lot of his music and his albums still to this day. So it's a great tribute to him. And I, I definitely recommend it. That's awesome. It's one on my list to go see. There's some amazing stuff with David Bowie in that film, and you've been raving, you know, left and right about it. Michelle also last week in her um, iconic music segment uh, raved about it also. So definitely, it makes me want. Oh, she was there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, she was. She was. She saw it. But yeah, she was there when I saw it. Yeah, I would hope so. I would (laughs) hope so. You know, (laughs) oh, some people, some people, folks. Uh, my rant and rave real quick is folks be thankful for what you got. Um, this is just a weird time of the year for a lot of people. Fall is, you know, getting ready for winter. Things are changing and everything. Um, a friend of mine over the weekend went into the hospital because he has kidney failure and he's, desperately looking for a kidney transplant and he's on the list, but he's on the older side of, you know, the spectrum. And so there's the odds are he will not get a kidney, you know, find a donor and stuff. But there are a lot of people out there that could still use your help. There are organizations out there who, you know, you can sign up with and, you know, if you get a chance, you know, if you want to take the time to see if you can help somebody, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's interesting to see because, you know, it hits people, some people out of the blue. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, you have warning signs. Sometimes people drink too much. Sometimes people, you know, have genetics that, you know, just gives them bad stuff in their body. And sometimes they, there's diseases. COVID has, you know, ravaged some people too, even. So, you know, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head, folks, but there's organizations out there that can help you and help them. And, you know, if you get a chance, we'll have a link up in our show notes to the National Kidney Fund and, you know, definitely check it out. Uh, my friend is going through Georgetown Hospital up in Washington, D.C. And, you know, University, it's Georgia, I think Georgetown University, and it's, you know, a great program, but there's programs all across the country. And definitely, if you get a chance, sign up for it. See if you could be even be a donor, if there's anything you could do, if you have the inclination to do it. Um, sadly enough, I can't do it because I'm a caregiver for somebody who has an illness and I can't be out of the pocket like that, or I would have done it, you know, tried to do it for my friend, but you know, 
do what you can, as I like to say. All right, enough ranting and raving for there. But, you know, folks, just be thankful for what you got, as I like to say. Speaking of being thankful for what you got, folks, we got a great one for you next week. We got another review, not a movie review. We are going to Amazon for a review this time. We are looking at the rings of power, my friends. We're going to Middle Earth. We're going to be, you know, looking at a warm and fuzzy story about people who made rings. No, just kidding. Just kidding on there. It's <laughs> it, there's it's a great story, folks. Um, it's going to be fun to talk all about um, vi- revisiting Middle Earth, but a Middle Earth that's quite different than what we're used to seeing in The Hobbit and then in The Lord of the Rings. It'll be very interesting to see people's thoughts on this one. And we definitely would love to hear from you guys. As always, we want to thank you guys for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We couldn't do this without you. We want to hear from you. Please write us at feedback at earthstationone.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found. And now Earth Station One can be found in video format on YouTube. That's right, folks. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Give us a thumbs up. You know, we, I was like really excited though that somebody actually gave us a thumbs down on one of our, on our things, you know, cause it just well, that shows means we've that made people, it. Exactly. <laughs> people are watching us. It's, it's pretty cool. So on behalf of myself, Mike Favor, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, Drew Leiter and Cletus Jacobs. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Be safe, hug your loved ones and enjoy the fall weather, folks. It's gorgeous outside right now. Peace. And we are done. you've been listening to the air station one podcast a show by fans for fans if you enjoyed the show please subscribe to our show up on itunes or wherever fine podcasts are found while you're up there please rate us and remember to leave feedback it would greatly be appreciated and remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.